This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. There's going to be a lot of scriptures, maybe a lot of notes, but we're going to take our time. We're going to take our time. We're not going to rush this. So if it takes three, four, five weeks, it'll take that time. But we need to get this down in us because God has a purpose for the family. And we want to make sure that we understand that purpose and apply it to our lives so we can impact this world and do what he's called us to do. So let's go to Genesis 18. Because like I said, if you've consecrated yourself to the will of God and the Lordship of Christ, all things take on God's purpose. So I'm going to undergird what Minister Martin went to, and you're going to see somebody who's consecrated themselves to the will of God and how his things, everything he did, took on God's purpose. And we're talking about Abraham here. So I'm just going to read from chapter 18. Uh, I'm going to read verse 17 through 19. And it says, And the Lord God said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Now that just right there tells you that's somebody who's consecrated themselves to the will of God. Because if you've consecrated yourself to the will of God, he's not going to hide anything that he's going to do from you. He's going to fill you in on his purpose as long as you consecrate yourself to his will. So here we go. And the Lord God said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he spoken of him. I told you right here, God had a plan and a purpose, and God said, I know that he's going to command his family after, after him in the ways of the Lord, because we are created to fulfill God's purpose, to worship and glorify him eternally, while we're here as well. So what we've been learning, what we must understand is that this purpose is intertwined with the family. God's purpose starts with the family. And we're going to get to that. We're going to go back to the beginning. Just like Genesis 10 today, we're going to go to Genesis today, and we're going to go through those things, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, because from the foundation of this world, God had a purpose. And we're going to go through that too as well. But remember what we've been learning, God has, what, what Minister Martin said, the purpose is an intention, right? God had an intended position for the family. And that's what we're going to get on today. We're going to find out what that intended position is. We know Minister Stinson got on the purpose of the family and how it, how it shows God's uh, image and structure and how it shows God's, uh, it reflects that God's image and character as well. We're going to uh, get on a couple of other things today as well that show the purpose of, God, of God's purpose in the family. And we've also learned, I want to I repeat this as well, that the call of the family is to produce spiritually and emotionally established believers who in turn gets God's redemptive work done in the earth. And I just want to reference Genesis 12 again. God, God promised Abraham, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And this is wrapped into that, that call of the family, what we just said. It's wrapped into that, to get God's redemptive work done in the earth. This was the promise that Abraham's leading contribution to the world would be brought through the person of Jesus Christ. All right, let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. Actually, you don't even have to turn there. Uh, well, yeah, let's go there. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. And I'm actually going to read verse 26 uh, through chapter 4, verse 7, and then I'm going to jump to 4, uh, verse 22. Chapter 3, verse 26, and it reads, For ye are all the children of God, by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye all are one in Christ Jesus. 
And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir as long as he is a child differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all. But it is, but it is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are our sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more servant, but a son. And if a son... Then an heir of God through Christ. Jump down to chapter 4, verse 22. And, and I'm going to read verse 7 again. Where, wherefore thou art no more servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things, are an, which things are an allegory. For those are the two covenants. The one from the Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. From this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou, barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. Even so it is now. I want you to take note of that scripture, verse 29, because we're going to get on that a lot today. Though even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of, of the free. Amen. So Abraham, being the father of faith, that is our example of being justified by faith. He shows us that the promise and responsibility to bless the world applies to us as believers. But believers don't just have this calling on their individual lives, and you do, but it's a call for the family as well. It is a, it's, it's, it is a call for the family as well. So in the family, the husband and the wife, they have to take on God's purpose as their business. You have to take on God's purpose as your ministry. And then you have to chase after it, day in, day out, with all, diligently. Both parents and the children have to be fruitful. And like I said, we're going to get to Genesis uh, in just a little bit where it says be fruitful and multiply. But I want to tell you what that word fruitful means. Because a lot of people just means, think it means you know, have, have, have sex and have offspring and just replenish the earth and fill the earth. That's not just what, you, you are supposed to, you, you're supposed to have sex with your wife or your husband in covenant, and you are supposed to refill the earth, but being fruitful means I have to constantly seek, and you can write this down, I must constantly seek God's purpose and persistently live every moment of my life with his purpose in mind. That's what being fruitful means. I'm going to say it again. I must constantly seek God's purpose and persistently live every moment of my life with his purpose in mind. That's being fruitful. So it's not just having children. It's not just having sex like jackrabbits and just have, I have five, six kids. That's not, that's not being fruitful. We're not trying to have a whole world full of heathens. That's not being fruitful. Again, being fruitful is I have to constantly seek God's purpose 
and persistently live every moment of my life with his purpose in mind. And if the enemy can get the family to ignore this responsibility, if he can get this, if he can get people to ignore that we have to live our lives for the glory of God, then the only thing that we will produce is a society full of worldly thinking individuals, emotionally wounded individuals, spiritually discerned people that don't know and can't fulfill God's purpose. And you got to think of it. God came and did a great work. He did a great work for us. Not to believe the, un- the unbelievers, not to leave us unable to do His will. God's done a work for us so that we can fulfill His purpose. He's not looking for families that are full of divorce. He's not looking for families full of separation. He's not looking for families full of uncertainty, hurt, loneliness. That's not what God, that's not what Christ came to do. That's not what Christ came to establish. That's not what God desires from his family. So we're going to get back to the basics. We're going to find out what's God's original plan for the family so we can get back there and stay there. So again, let me do it just, just a, I'm going to mention what Minister Stinson went over again last week. She said the purpose of the family was to reflect the image of, and not last, just last week, a few weeks, but it's to reflect God's image in character and structure. And then my portion that I'm going to deal with for the next few weeks is the purpose of the family is to conduct or operate government for the glory of God as his stewards or representatives on the earth. Now, I know that's a lot, so here's what you can put. To have dominion and to subdue. That's what you can put. To have dominion and to subdue. And then we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1. I told you we're going to get there, so we're going to go ahead and go over to Genesis chapter 1. And it's interesting about the scripture that I'm about to read here. I'm going to have to stop on this first verse I'm going to read in verse 26. So let me just read verse 26 and I'm going to stop real quick. And it says, And God says, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. I had to stop right there. Just that phrase, just that statement right there. So from reading that statement, I had to go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and I read every verse up to there. And I saw where it said in verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And I saw in verse 5, And God called the light day and the darkness. And God said, Let there be a firmament. And God said, Let the waters. And God said, Call the dry land. And then in 26, it, wasn't just, it didn't just say, And God said, It said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. That's when I just started to see purpose. Because who is that us? Anybody? God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He said, let us. He said, let's take this time. Everybody said, you know what? I have a say in this purpose. There's something that needs to be done in this imaging, re-imaging process. Oh, re-imaging because Christ was sent from the foundation of the world. Okay, that's purpose. So God, the Trinity in one, God the Father, they said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. God the Father who gave the Son, like I said, the Son who gave His life and made the church by dying for our sins. And the Spirit who now comes and fills the heart of those who believe. This, and not only that, because remember, the church is the bride of Christ. He fills the heart of those who believe, the bride, with that of their husband, Christ. Do you see, this? Do you see the Trinity working all with purpose from the beginning? From the beginning, it was created. He said, let us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
Amen? Now, let's go to verse 27. I'm going to keep going. So God created man in his arm. Let me finish verse 26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. I, I had to stop there again. Because see, Eve didn't come until later. But here it also says, male and female created he them. See, there's a purpose already. God already created male and female. Because most people miss that. They say, oh, but Eve didn't come until later. No, no, no. Already, male and female created he them. Amen? Sorry, this wind turned my page. Let me get back over here. Created he, he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply. And this is his command. Because remember, it said God blessed them. This is his command right here to mankind. Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed, to you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And I'm going to go to 31 too. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So, here's the thing that I want us to understand from this passage of scripture. And Minister Stinson touched on it as well. And she went to Psalm 8. You see that God, we're a special, a unique creation for God. We're the only creation that he breathed the spirit into. He gave us a soul. There were other creations made after flesh, made from the dust of the ground, but we're the only creation that have a spirit, a soul. And that reference was Psalm 8, Mr. Stinson gave us last week uh, on Psalms 8. He made us a little lower than the angels. But the, thing, the, the reason he's given us a, a spirit and a soul is we're to have dominion over all the rest of the earthly creation in order to bring everything into his harmony and his will and his purpose. That's our goal. It says to subdue it, have dominion. And again, like I said, because of all the earthly creations, we're the only ones that communicate with God because God is spirit. And he's given us spirit. All the other creations, they can't communicate with God. So God has given us dominion over them. Because guess what? We have flesh like these other communications, and they can communicate by that flesh. You know, you, your dogs who think you, you know, people who have dogs think they have souls. No, you feed them. <laughs> Their senses. That's why you have dominion over them. You know, taste, touch, smell, sight. That's why we can communicate with the other creatures of this world. But God has given us a specific, a specific commandment to subdue and have dominion. So we need to understand how to do that. And then Genesis, I'm going to read Genesis 1 and 28 again. It says, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. And I'm going to stop there, and we're going to see, we're going to take this word subdue here. We're going to put it in, top, in context, because again we said God gave this specific command to subdue and have dominion. So I looked into this word subdue, and I had to look into the original, because I had to look into the original text. And see what this word subdue means. The Hebrew word for subdue is kabash. And that's K-A-B-A-S-H. And it's very interesting what it means. So subdue, we all know it means to bring into subjection, to keep under, or to make subservient, or to enslave something, to force submission, 
And this one I really loved. To take control of a hostile country. This was all based on the original text. Hebrew, the Hebrew word was kabash. K-A-B-A-S-H. And again, it's to bring into subjection, to keep under or to make subservient, to enslave or force submission, or to take control of a hostile country. So, and here's what I got from that word subdue, right? In verse 28, there's an implication there that creation must be brought into submission. If he tells us that we are to subdue it, right? There's an implication there. There's an implication that we have to to bring it into submission so that it's not to control man. Because we're to have dominion and to subdue. Why? Because we were made in the image of God. We have his spirit. He imparted his spirit into us. Now I'm going to touch on this word dominion and then I'm going to break this down even a bit more. And then it says again in verse 28, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So it's telling us to have dominion over these fleshly things on the earth. Note that. Over these fleshly things on the earth. Have dominion. Now that Hebrew word, I took that again, I I went back to the original text and found out what the Hebrew word for dominion there was, and it's rada. R-A-D-A-H. And this is a royal term. It's referring to a dominating rule of a king. Mastery. It means to rule or to govern or to have lordship over. So then I said, well, God, you said, I know you've given us your spirit and you said we're to subdue and have dominion. And you said we're to be, we're to have dominion, we're to be like kings over this for you, to have lordship. So I had to ask myself, well, what kind of king or lord does God desire? That's the question that you have to ask yourself because... There's plenty of people who think that they can rule and have dominion over God's creation, but don't know what he's, what he's called them to, that aren't in his purpose. And don't forget, we're on the purpose of the family. So there's plenty of people who think, you know, I know what to do. I know God's purpose. I know what kind of king he desires. But the thing about it is, God desires man to set all of his creation, to set in order all of his creation. He wants us to build government. He wants us to maintain order. He wants us to develop civilization. He wants us to organize our earthly efforts to harness the power of this earth and the resources and the abilities of, creation, of, of the rest of creation. Then why? To give him glory. See, because there's, there's plenty of other motivations that people want to do this. If you think of the motivations of this world, it can be summed up, and this is a song too, it can be summed up into three words, money, power, and respect. Right? But God says it's to bring him glory. So dominion was given us to maintain the worship and glorifying of God throughout the whole of creation. Now, and like I said, we see now that the world has failed in this tremendously. But the Son is victorious. And He shows us how. Amen. So, here's what I want you to get, because I told you how to note that scripture back in Galatians about your flesh, about the fleshly. I said note that as well about the fleshly things that we have to put in dominion. So here's the thing, and this is what you have to look at, because everything starts on a smaller scale, but God has purpose. It starts on a smaller scale, then goes out to the world, right? So it starts with you. So look at yourself like this. You are the little world that God has created. Right? You're little worlds. Created by God. And like these fleshly creatures, your flesh can't communicate with God. Just like these fleshly creatures. And then God has given us a commandment. 
He says, but you have my spirit. And I can communicate with your spirit. So here's what your spirit needs to do. It needs to subdue, enslave, take control of that hostile nation, which is your flesh, and bring it to his will and his submission so that everything brings glory to him. That's where we start before we're, before we're fit to go out into this world and have dominion. We've got to start here. Start with your little world. Because we want to rule and have dominion over all earthly creatures. Well, start with your earth. We're supposed to, by His Spirit, have, we're supposed to subdue it, take control of that hostile flesh. Bring it under subjection so that we can give Him glory. Have dominion over it. Bring it into the perfect harmony of God's will so that you can be useful. So that we can in turn get God's redemptive plan done. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 3. And this is very interesting too in my study time what I found out. Because here's the thing. A lot of people think, you know, I come from a good background. I have a good education. I think my moral code is okay. So I'm fit to come out and govern this world. Have dominion. Make decisions that affect the resources of this world. And then they take the same things that they've been learning without Christ and then try to push it on the world. This is why, we're, this is why our government is the way it is today. You know, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me stop. Colossians chapter 3. And I'm just going to read verse 5. And I really want you to read. You can write Colossians 3 verse 5 through 15. But I'm going to read verse 5. It says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. That word mortify right there. I had to look it up. And though it didn't mean, it didn't bring back subdue, it didn't bring back kabash, there were synonyms. They said, oh, that mortify means to subdue. Bring under control those members, your fleshly members. Just like he gave the command at the beginning, have dominion, subdue it. Subdue the earth, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air. He's saying, bring your fleshly members under. Take control of that hostile nation. Subdue it. Mortify those members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. See, he's saying, you know, with this flesh, you're going to have those things in you. He didn't say, you may or may not have these. He said, no, mortify those things. Because you have the Spirit. And when you do those things, then you're fit to rule. Then you're fit to have dominion. For what? Now, don't get big-headed. I said dominion to do what? To bring Him glory. But we have to start with our little worlds. Have dominion. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, because this is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. This is just going to undergird that same scripture. And like I said, we're going to take our time here. So we're going scripture to scripture. And like I said, it, it doesn't matter how long it takes. But we're going to get this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'm going to read verse 24 through 27. And it says, Know ye not that they which run in a race are, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible 
I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I. Not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body. And bring it into subjection. That subject, that subdue. I keep it under, bring it into subjection, lest that by any means which I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So it's saying I have to bring my flesh under into subjection so that I'm fit to rule. I'm fit to have dominion. Why again? To bring things into God's perfect will and His harmony. So that His redemptive plan gets worked. Because when things come into His perfect will and His harmony, lives get changed. People stand up and take notice. And lives are changed. So again, back in Genesis, let's go back to Genesis. The command was to subdue the earth, have dominion, and we see that we have to take it further. We need to subdue and have dominion over our flesh so that we can properly govern as God's representatives. Now, we see that after God gave this command, Adam began to do this. And we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. Adam began to do this, but God saw he needed to help me. See, now we're about to get into family. See, just stay with us. Stay with me. Bear with me. Follow me. We have a purpose. We have a plan. Stay with me. Genesis chapter 2. And remember, God had purpose from the beginning. He already, male and female, created he them. But here we are, Genesis 2. And I'm going to read verse, from starting at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou shalt eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out, of the, and out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, and every fowl of the air, and, there, and, and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature... That was the name thereof. It's so interesting how God does that, right? God already said in a couple of verses earlier, he saw that it wasn't good for him to be alone. He needed to help me. But then he's still, in the midst of it, Adam is still working. He's still doing what God has called him to do, right? And you have to understand this too. When he's, when he's naming these animals and creatures, he's seeing, oh, there's a male, there's a female. This is what he's seeing. And so God, God let him see this. I believe, everybody say Brother Isaac believes. I believe that God let him see this because God wanted him to see, oh, you can't do this alone. Oh, you see everybody, there's a, there's a man, there's a, there's a male, there's a female. And you need help. Because I'm sure after he saw this, he's like, well, I see male and female, but can't none of them get with me. There's nothing there for me. But remember God's purpose. He already said back in chapter 1, male and female created he them. Amen? All right. Genesis 2 verse, what verse was I on there? I'm sorry? 18, that's right. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. And for Adam, there was not found and help me. Just what we just said. He, he saw him, and Adam was like, yeah, but there's not a help me for me here. Because remember, they, they are fleshly creatures, 
But Adam was breathing to the Spirit of God. And what Mr. Stinson touched on what the Spirit of God has. It includes your intelligence. And intelligently, you know, those invisible things that we don't have to mention, I'm not supposed to be with that creature. I, that, that, that creature's not a help meet for me. That's just a little sidekick to Romans chapter 1. You can, on your own time, read that. But, okay. Verse, yes, verse 27. No, I'm sorry. Yes, 27, or 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore... Shall a man, and you know, before I read this, for those who have a Bible like mine, right before verse 24 and 25, it says the first marriage. I want you to understand this, right? Because it says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. That's a commandment at the beginning of the Bible. Cleave unto his wife. And thus, the first family was created. And God had a purpose. Because remember in verse one, in chapter one, male and female created he them. Already had purpose on his mind, and she came from his rib. And I've said I've talked about this before. It came from his rib because it didn't come from the head because she's not supposed to be above him. It didn't come from the feet because he's not supposed to trample on her. But it came from his rib because she's next to him. She's close to his heart. She's his help meet. What, she, what, what, what he lacked, she had, she had for him. What she lacked, he had for her. They're complete in one. See, remember, a family is supposed to show the structure, supposed to show God's structure as well. The Trinity, Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. Husband, wife, and the Spirit of God who flows in, in and through that marriage all the days of your life. See, God intended for the husband and wife to be a spiritual, functional unity. Walking in integrity, serving God, and keeping His commandments together as one. And that's what we need to realize. See, when this harmony is operative, then society prospers under God's hand. But in order to get to this harmony, we have to subdue and have dominion. Starting here. So this tells us that the family as God defined it and designed is essential if mankind is truly to subdue and have dominion over all fleshly things, including their own flesh. The family alone must impart some godly qualities, godly characteristics that enable us as individuals to rise to our potential. Why? Why, why our potential? So I can live my best life? No. To give God glory. And if you're not able to do this, if you, if you can't do this, then you won't be able to bring glory to God with all and in all. If you can't subdue. Oh, but he's given you everything you need. Remember what I said earlier, Christ has done the work. So here are some of the qualities. I'm just going to read off some of the qualities that need to be developed by the family on God's purpose. And then we're going to go through these. We're going to break these down individually. This is what I said. When I said it's going to take a while... It's going to take us a few weeks. So we're going to go through these individually because 
we'll get there. So some of the qualities that must be developed by the believing family so that we can bring God glory are a high value. Well, first off, love. Let me start there. <laughs> Let's start there with love. And later on in our teachings, uh, I'm not sure which minister is going to be on it, but later on they're going to get on love tremendously. So I'm not going to stay on that much, but love. Number two, placing a high value on life. Self-esteem, security, morality, peace, justice, mercy. These are all characteristics that are to be developed by the family. Mercy. And that's, when I heard that word, I'm like, mercy, that comes. Lord has mercy on me day in and day out. Like I said earlier, the son has done this and he shows us how. So if you're looking for these characteristics, look at Christ. Self-denial. Here's another word for you for self-denial. Sacrifice. Commitment. Patience. Let's go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, because now we're really going to start breaking these down. I don't want you to know, you know, we're going to read this and you're going to be like, you know, this is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Yes, it is. And before we get there, we're going to see what's not the fruit of the Spirit. But I want you to understand, these things that are not the fruit of the Spirit, it's mentioned all over the Bible. Because these things are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And the thing about it is, you'll see these things, you're like, well, these aren't characteristics, they're actions. Yeah, but those actions are brought forth by certain characteristics that have been developed in the family. So we're going to look at these. Let's go to Galatians 5. I'm sorry, let me get there. And it's so funny to me, you know, ever since studying this, and we've been studying this for a while now, you know, I start looking at things just through my spiritual eye, and I see things, and I'm like, ooh, how did that that person get there? How did this happen? And then I'm like, oh, it started in the family. There's some things missing in the family. Somebody wasn't being commanded in the ways of the Lord. Some things were hid from them, like God didn't hide nothing from them. It's not like God is hiding something from you. You're covering your own eyes. You don't want to see the truth. So, let me read Galatians chapter 5, and I'm going to start at verse 16. And it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led by the other spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Adultery. I have to stop there. Because adultery is an action, right? But there's some characteristics that lead to that, right? You don't just come out and be like, I'm an adulterer. No. There's some things that have been developed in you. And you may, not, you may not connect it all the way back, but there's some things that either were or weren't developed in you from when you were in your family. Because when I say in your family, understand this. Until you get married and start your own family, you're still part of that same family. So you're always a part of the family. I don't care if you're like, well, I didn't have a mother at home. I didn't have a father at home. Well, that means that somebody was off purpose, off God's purpose. Because I want you to understand this. There's many people that go out there and try to start families and do things on their own, but aren't in God's purpose. There's plenty of people that are like, you know what? All I want is a child. I don't want a husband. I don't want a wife. 
and I'm going to go start my own family. You already start. The first family was started in Genesis. Male and female created he them. But we're taking our own ways. We're taking our own knowledge from this world. The facts of this world, for those who are here Friday night. And then we're implementing it. Like it's the gospel. And then wonder why, later on in life, why is my child, or why is this person going through this? Why are they going through that? And let me get back on it. I didn't even touch on adultery yet. So what is adultery? I'm a clear, and we all know what it is. It's a married person having sex with someone who is not their spouse. So let's give you some characteristics of an adulterer that are developed. So you can start seeing if it's in you now or in your family now. Or you can start being like, okay, well, this is why I got caught up in this. Or this is why this person. Let's see some of the characteristics. So number one, I just came, I had to come and say is unfaithfulness. Not faithful. Disloyal. For you young folks, you fake. Phony. Non-finishers. Quitters. And this one I love. Selfishness. All too prevalent in our society. But it's learned in our home. Listen, let me help you with your adult, the adulterous attitudes. So you allow your children to commit to the things of God, right? And then when anything comes up that benefits you and doesn't give God glory or benefits them, you allow that, that adulterous attitude to come in and say, you know what? You're married to the things of God, but let's, let's, let's be an adulterer on that. And let's come over here because this is going to benefit us. So you've got you to gotta remember that what, you, what you're showing your children and you think, oh, well, it's not the action of adultery. Yeah, but there's the characteristics of it. And they've been developed. They're watching it. They're learning it. And you wonder why later in life they get a spouse or something. They can't stay faithful. They're not finishers. They're selfish. Disloyal. Not committed. I like that next word here in uh, Galatians chapter 5. After adultery, it says fornication. Now, we know these are all sexual actions, but there's an attitude. There's characteristics that develop this. You don't come out a fornicator, although these are, listen, until you get yourself in God's harmony and His will, the potential is going to be there. And that's, I'm going to tell you, that there's nothing that you're going to do. You're going to choose one of these characteristics if you don't know His characteristics. We all know fornication is having sex outside of marriage. And it's interesting, I was looking up that word fornication. And what kept coming up, even though, I want you to know this, in today's world, fornication is not considered a judgmental tone as it, as it used to be. In today's world, it's, it's an accepted thing. Even though that's what it is in today's world, the thing that kept coming up for me is, it kept saying, forsaking proper judgment. Forsaking proper judgment. Forsaking proper judgment. That's what makes you willing to fornicate. And then it got really, it got really blunt. It said, you're prostituting yourself. It said, harlotry. Accommodating the flesh. Compromise. These are all characteristics that lead up to fornication. See, when you have people that are willing to fornicate, as we do in our world all too commonly nowadays, 
you can see what characteristics have been developed. You know, when I, when I started looking at fornication, I started thinking of when parents say, tell their children, do as I say and not as I do. That comes from an attitude of one who's willing to fornicate. Willing to compromise. Willing to prostitute themselves out so that they can feel good. A fornicator is one who seeks instant gratification. Can't judge properly because there is, listen, for every action there is a reaction. For every cause there is an effect. But you can't see it for the instant gratification in front of you. That's the heart of a fornicator. Let me, help you, let me help you with the heart of a fornicator. A heart of a, a fornicator is an impulse buyer. They see something, they want it, I buy it, I own it. No matter the cost. We could deal with the cost later. Because, after all, it's lawful for me, right? But what if the, all things are lawful but not expedient, Right? It's lawful for you to have to, to fornicate in today's world, right? But are you subduing? Do you have dominion? Are you bringing everything into God's perfect will and harmony? Proper judgment being forsaken. Let me tell you a heart of a fornicator. A heart of a fornicator would be like your, your favorite gospel artist who sacrificed their beliefs for the dollar. <laughs> for that instant gratification. For putting a few dollars in my pocket, all off of God's purpose, to get his redemptive plan done. That's the heart of a fornicator. Understand this. Anything that will cause you to get off God's purpose, anything that is an aid to your heart to, to remove his standard, that's aiding to your heart of fornication. doesn't have to be physical sex. All it is is wanting a strange God. And that strange God is akin to your flesh. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Anyone... Or anything that causes you to get your eyes off Christ. It's an aid to your fornicating heart. Anything that you're like, okay, I can see instant gratification in that. So I'm going to do it without weighing out what his purpose says for me. Oh, fornication and adultery are hand in hand. Because now I'm still talking about an adulterer's heart too. See, these characteristics all bring forth these actions. They bring forth other actions as well. But we're here in Galatians 5. And just write these scriptures down for reference as well, because I'm almost out of time for today. But these things are not just mentioned in Galatians. Mark chapter 7, you can find them again. In Corinthians, you can find them again. And there's a reason God, there's a reason God mentioned these over and over again. Because it is the lust of the flesh. It's the lust of the... You have to, be, you have to know these things, because you're going to face them. Because that's the flow of this world. Connect it back to what we've been learning. That is the flow of this world. They're not looking for God's purpose. It's not on their mind. 
And that's the thing about a fornicator's heart. You get that little instant gratification. You're like, oh, it's good for that moment. But let me tell you about a a fornicating heart. It perpetuates cycles. Because you're good for that moment, and then you're right after, you're searching for that same feeling again, because you can't be fulfilled in it. So it perpetuates cycles. Over and over, just caught up in cycles. Because of some characteristic that wasn't taught or was taught in your home. Oh, it starts at an early age. I'm, I'm trying to tell you. What I'm trying to tell you is, even as an adult, when you have a little child, you need to watch yourself closely. There's a purpose that God has for you. And you're like, oh, my child is not a fornicator. Yeah, but you're teaching them to be. You're teaching them to be adulterous. What's the next word? You're teaching them to be unclean. And we're going to get into uncleanness, but you know what? I'm out of time. So we'll get into uncleanness next Sunday. And uh, you can be dismissed. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.